It's Wednesday, October 6th, and you've got Oz in your ears. Ah, Radio Free Oz, coming to you from Blue U Studios here in the Emerald Isle. I'm your host, Peter Bergman, co-host David Osmond, and we're going to be, we're going to be ankling the aisle today to get on down to Marin for a show uh, Friday. The, is that the 7th? Is it the seventh? Yes, no. It's the uh, it's the eighth. eighth. The eighth eighth and Monterey, where it all began on the ninth. So we want to see our dear friends down there. Yep, we've been working on the road now. It's been a couple of years. We started October '09 to work on the Monterey show, and now we're going back with a brand new show. Right, brand new. Uh, I think we're all bozos. No, just we're bozos on this bus. We've taken the I think away because it's become just too obvious. So we're gonna we're we're gonna fly. Away and uh, uh, t- tonight, or, or or tomorrow, or next week, wherever you are, and uh, and do these couple of shows. Then we'll be back and report on it, and so we'll see. Won't that be happened. fun? Yeah, Won't that be bet, fun? And we're going to see some of our Oz friends down there. The uh, from the Oz team, Kelly Brewer will be there, and Phil Fountain will be there. It's going to be it's uh, going to be. A how ton of about fun. Oz and Ears? Will they be there? Oh, well, how many Oz and Ears will be there? How many of our? I don't know if we'll have the subscription site exactly up by then. Probably just directly afterwards. But you'll know if you're coming on board, and if you're going to come down and see us at either of the shows, come by at the table where we meet everybody afterwards and make yourself known. That'll be great fun. And we'd like to have you uh, uh, even respond to us uh, like, uh, uh, you know, our writers who now are answering us in the email and sending us responses to blogs. And I mean, it's very exciting. It well, actually, I can see it's exciting you, Dave. It is. It and is. That's, you're exciting, David Osmond. You're doing the world a good thing. Well, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to go home and, and do another blog. What the heck? From CNN, suspected militants in Pakistan set fire to nearly three dozen tankers carrying fuel for NATO troops in Afghanistan today, officials said, a day after three soldiers were killed in a cross-border NATO airstrike. What are we doing crossing the border into Pakistan? Angered by repeated incursions by NATO helicopters over the past week, Pakistan has blocked a supply route for coalition troops in Afghanistan. They're pissed! Pakistan is a crucial ally for the United States. Crucial, (laughs) but perfidious. Uh, It's a crucial ally for the United States in its efforts to stabilize Afghanistan. I love it, man. Those two words are enough to wake anybody up in the middle of the night in the State Department in a cold sweat. Stabilize Afghanistan. Yeah, how about cold fission in a bottle? Afghanistan. Yes, (laughs) Yes, <laughs> stabilized. But analysts say border incursions and disruptions in NATO supplies underline growing tensions in the relationship. A senior Pakistani intelligence official said the border incursions could lead to a total snapping of relations. Senior local officials blamed extremists for the attack on the tankers in the southern town of Shikarpur. About 12 people, their faces covered, opened fire with small arms into the air to scare away the drivers and then set fire to 35 tankers. No, if they'd have been extremists, they'd have killed the drivers also. These are moderate, foreign, militant, uh, what else can we say, Uh, pissed locals. 
On Thursday, three Pakistani soldiers were killed and three wounded in two cross-border incursions by NATO forces chasing militants in Pakistan's northwestern Quram region. So we're off after militants who crossed the border and were killing Pakistani soldiers in the process. Hearts and minds? I don't think so. Despite tensions, analysts say a rift is unlikely between Pakistan and its western allies as each side needs the other. The European Union said it has decided to more than double its Pakistan flood aid to 150 million euros, or about 205 million dollars. Pakistan has again come under the international spotlight after Western intelligence sources said a plot to stage coordinated attacks in Europe had been disrupted by a recent upsurge in missile strikes by U.S. drones. It's kind of hard to make the connection. I kind of feel it, but I think they're lying to us. It's no secret that there are terrorists from all nationalities in North Waziristan. There are Arabs, Uzbeks, Pakistani, Afghan, Chechens, Germans, Brits, Americans, everyone. And they are a threat to us, to their own countries, and to the entire world, a senior security official said. No, it's a Club Pakistan, kind of like a Club Med, except you you, you, you build girls' schools and you create uh, improvised uh, explosives. It's, it's a wonderful, fun time. But to say that we have any specific information, this is a security official speaking, to say we have any specific information that, there were, that they were plotting attacks against this country or that country, then, sir, we don't have any concrete information or intelligence about that. Wait a minute. Either you do or you don't. If you do, you send your helicopters in and kill the wrong people. If you don't, shut up and go home. I hate, won't somebody please help me? Easy, easy, my lad. At times of dexterity like this, my wee native compendium, Mohammed, used to pray to the divinities, his little brown froggy body equivalent my loins, chanting a stream of ancient Egyptian holograms. What? Um, uh, uh, diaphragm. No, 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 no. I used to date Hieroglyphs, that's I, it. Do, I, do you remember any? Will they help? Anything yes, at all? Yes, of course, of course. Let's see, it was a jackal-headed woman with her eyes kimbo, a king sitting sideways on his throne, a drip with gold, chippered nose uplifted thusly. All engraven on the pyramids of massy size, with the body of a lion, paws that refreshes, a tail told by an idiot, and the head of a fox. From Politico, this is what we will face if we let the GOP take over control of the House of Representatives. Because they have no intention of governing They have no plan. All they're going to do is cause Obama trouble until they hope they can take over the White House in 2012. Okay. House Minority Leader John Boehmer threw his full support behind Representative Daryl Issa, his plan to bombard the Obama administration with subpoenas if Republicans take back the House in November. That's their idea of helping America in one of its most critical times. Quote, I think Congress has an appropriate role under the Constitution to provide oversight of the executive branch, and I would pledge that it's going to happen, he told reporters. ISA, the top Republican on the House Oversight and Government Committee, has said he'll double the size of his staff if he becomes chairman of the committee next year. Oh, he's a real budget. (laughs) Oh, man, just spend money. He called for an investigation of the Obama administration earlier this year for offering Representative Joe Sestak an unpaid job if he would drop out of the Democratic primary. And he has promised to investigate the White House um, in search of similar controversies, a fishing expedition. And we're going to pay for it in many ways. 
A Chairman Issa would prove a huge headache for Obama, much like Representative Dan Burton, the Republican from Indiana, who was the committee's chairman during the Clinton administration. Burton issued 1,052 subpoenas to the White House and other Democrats from 1997 to 2002. And you got to remember, when you get a subpoena from the government, even if, like, you're totally innocent, you got nothing to do, it's going to cost you a fortune in legal fees to defend. This is reckless, and this is exactly the kind of non-government we're going to get from these second-raters if we let them in. So, Dave, yes. CNN tells us that the European Court of Justice, all those Europeans, get ready, have ruled that working fathers in Spain have the same right to breastfeeding leave as do moms. Now, some people, particularly Teabaggers, maybe, you know, and, and people on, on the right who are just looking for this kind of weird political correctness would be apoplectic over this. But I see the justice. Okay. Can you point me on the way to justice here, Pete? Well, uh, Thursday's ruling grants Spanish dads the same rights as the mother of their child to leave work up to twice a day or for a total of an hour or to shorten their weekday by 30 minutes for the first nine months of the baby's life. Okay. And I'm not saying that they are breastfeeding, but they may be giving the kid a bottle. Well, sure. That's the the court called the law an unjustified discrimination on grounds of sex that fathers weren't granted breastfeeding leave in the same instances as women were. The statute, challenged by Pedro Manuel Roca Alvarez, Alvarez didn't allow dads to take the same leave afforded to women if the mother of their children didn't work or were self-employed. So they're not going. The, the, the Spanish court is not going to let them get away with that. Wow! And then this goes to Brussels, and then the European Union starts to write the regulations. I mean, and is this you know is this they're going to get it down to how many minutes on the left breast, how many minutes on the right breast? It has you to know. be. It has to be equal. It's it's, it's, it's title two. It's got to got to be. You know, and and th- what what's remarkable is this comes out of Spain, and I spent some time when I lived on the Isle of Mallorca in Franco's Spain, mm. and. This this is light years away from Franco's. Oh yeah, everything is all it's 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 all cool and groovy out there now because it's the Europe, man. And Europe is all cool and groovy. That's what, what that's do, the if, if the bureaucracy doesn't have that impression, you know how's the, how how are we going to see it? A bunch of independent states speaking uh, difficult languages, arguing with each other, and having crises with people who live in the mountains. No. No, this no, is, we're not. We're all going to be smooth and groovy. And, and breastfeeding. And breastfeeding. Get those regulations out there. Write them, write them. Well, Peter, here's another one of these uh, short poems that comes from reading the New York Times but not wanting to read every word in it. Yeah. Well, that's because you've got a brain that makes that happen. Other people would see other combinations or none whatsoever. Might just see fish wrap. But you see poetry. That's well, cool. here, uh, this one is, is, I guess, called Talk About Dr. Memory. The great worm, Stuxnet, attacks Siemens Cymatic S7 with the word Myrtus or red herring. No, really, it's related botanically to Guava or maybe Esther, whose name was Hadassah. Learned at cross-cultural wordplay, says Scholar. We have studied its protocols and functionality. We sliced the code to its deepest level, says Computer Warrior. Centrifuges slow. Grids blink out. Compost for Stuxnet. Their memories 
failing. Yeah, you know, they don't know who did it either. That's wonderful. That 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 is <laughs> that, that that makes me kind of almost like Stuxnet. Stuxnet. Yeah, they they threw that they threw that into the um, nuke factory there in, in Iran. And they did it with a flash drive, a little thumb drive probably, they think. They're not sure. And immediately they said, oh, it's got to be the Americans. And they said, no, no, it could be the Israelis. And they said, no, well, it could be the Russians or the Brits. And then somebody said, no, it could be off campus. It could be a non-state job. And they said, well, it only would take, I think one of the semantics, one of the people that knows all about this said, it would take something like half a dozen people six months to do it. But that's not, that's not a lot of people working for six months. That's know? not a lot of months for a lot of people well, either. It, if you can destroy the, the Siemens S7, which runs everything. everything yeah, probably about. this. I, oh, oh, out the <clears throat> From the Associated Press, the income gap between the richest and poorest Americans grew last year to its widest amount on record as young adults and children in particular struggled to stay afloat in the recession. This isn't what the Tea Party's talking about. They're talking about some constitution that was taken away from them. What we're really talking about is that income disparity is growing, the poor are getting poorer, and a few of the rich are getting richer, and something has got to be done about it. The top earning 20% of Americans, those making more than 100,000 each year, receive 49.4% of all the income generated in the U.S., compared with the 3.4% earned by those below the poverty line, according to newly released census figures. That ratio of 14.5 to 1 was an increase from 13.6 to 1 in 2008, and nearly double a low of 7.69 in 1968. In 1968, not so long. Long ago, right, when the hippie revolution was beginning and the war in Vietnam was beginning to smell bad, the the divide between the rich and the poor was kind of an eight to one. And it's now what? Almost a 15 to one. Hey, something's got to be done, man. Something's something's got to get redistributed. Somebody's got to go in and tell those Koch brothers to cough it up or cotch it up. A different measure, the International GINI Index found U.S. income inequality at its highest level since the Census Bureau began tracking household income in 1967. The U.S. also has the greatest disparity among Western industrialized nations. Really? And the worst health care? At the top, the wealthiest 5% of Americans who earn more than $180,000 a year added slightly to their annual incomes last year. Families of the of the 50 at the 50,000 medium level, slipped lower. Income inequality is rising, and if we took into account tax data, it would be even more, said Timothy Smeeting, a University of Wisconsin-Madison professor who specializes in poverty. More than other countries, we have a very unequal income distribution where compensation goes to the top in a winner-take-all economy. Lower-skilled adults aged 18 to 34 had the largest jumps in poverty last year as employers kept or hired older workers for the dwindling jobs available. They they aren't educated, they aren't prepared, they've been abused, they may be addicted, and there's no work. Something bad is happening, brother. Something real bad. The declining economic fortunes have caused many unemployed young Americans to Double up in housing with parents, friends, and loved ones with potential problems for the labor market if they don't get needed training for the future jobs. 
said Smeeting. The findings are part of a broad array of U.S. census data being released this month that highlight the far-reaching impact of the recent economic meltdown. The effects have ranged from near-historic declines in U.S. mobility and birth rates to delayed marriage and the first drop in the number of illegal immigrants in two decades. It's so bad here, nobody wants to come across the border. I think I'll stay right where I am. I've been swimming against the current of public opinion in the big river of denial too long. I have to climb out over its failed banks and towel off the illusion that the voting public will wake up from their long midterm nap and keep the relatively sane Democratic Party in control of Congress. Hope may spring eternal, but those springs have been thoroughly evaporated by the extraordinary heat coming from the right. The combination of super PACs, run by the likes of Karl Rove, suitcases of cash from billionaire bandits who remain in the shadows thanks to the bad boys on the Supreme Court, and the drumbeat of fear and falsehood emanating from the lipstick liars and the amoral altar boys on Fox is just too much for our fragile democracy to withstand. It's happened before. During the 30s, fascist clerics, hooded racists, armed vigilantes, and kingfish dictators strove for the hearts and minds of America, mired in a decade-long depression. Only World War II and the full employment that came in its wake saved them from that dark crowd. No wartime prosperity can save us now. It is, in fact, our endless war against the terrorists, insurgents, militants, and locals who get in the way that has brought us to the brink of financial and moral bankruptcy. Into this spiritual vacuum have stepped the know-nothings, naysayers, homophobes, xenophobes, ayatollahs, misogynists, and seditionists, sidelined until now by a bubble economy and a corrupt empire. I fear that nasty gang is going to have their way for a while, and perhaps a dose of their second-rate minds and third-rate solutions will sober us up. Perhaps those springs of hope will flow again, even if it takes the hard rain a-coming to fill them. Well, I have Chef Jess back in the studio. We're dining locally with you today, Jess. Welcome yeah, back. thank yeah. you. Next time you're going to have to bring some of your scones or cookies. Oh, I'm, I'd love to. It's not a bribe exactly. It just, <laughs> it wets the radio appetite, so to speak. Sure. Okay. Well, we've talked about, uh, you know, the effect of your, your restaurant, um, Kabuni. Cafe. Cafe. Yeah. And what does Kabuni mean? Kabuni means um, house in the woods. It it's, sure is. It's right in the middle of the woods. Yeah. Slang. And it's kind of our own language, but we took casa from Italian yeah. and shortened it to ca. And yeah. then boonies. Oh, the boonies. Yeah. Oh, kabuni. But you spell it B-U-N-I, not yeah. B-O-O-N-I-E. Yeah. I would have gotten it otherwise. <laughs> yeah, well, yeah. Well, we're dining into boonies. And we talked about the effect of, of, of being able to run a restaurant with local stuff, which is not easy, but easier in the sense that it's centralized, it's large scale. Mm -hmm. What about the individual or the individual family? What sort of steps can they take to to consume more local goods? Yeah, sure. And, to, you know, and, and somehow to find that in, mm -hmm. in, their, in their diet. Um, well, I think for one, it's to go visit any farmer's market that you could possibly go to. There's um, tons and tons all over Washington State and the country. Yeah. Um, I I don't know the exact statistic, but I believe that farmers markets have like upped their um, 
total amount of sales yep. by like 30 to 40 percent just they in did, the last year. Yeah, they did catch on. When I lived in Santa Monica, we had two a week, and one of them was like three blocks, and it was just yeah. organic. Yeah. You know, it was amazing. Yeah, there's all kinds of urban city farmers markets, and they're Wednesdays, Thursdays, Fridays, Saturdays, any day of the they're week. They're a little light in the, in the winter. They kind of go there away. There are. There's some really great, um, at least here in Washington, there's some great um, all winter long farmers markets. And we have a really nice climate where we can grow some. Um, but California has great all year farmers yeah. markets. So farmers markets is mm-hmm. one way. So you can try and go get uh-huh. local crops. What yeah. else can you do? Um, join a CSA, Community Supported Agriculture. What's that? Which is where you're buying into the farm. Basically, you spend an X amount of dollars uh-huh. and they bring you a basket either once a week, twice a week of whatever the harvest is. Really? Uh-huh. And that's a really great way. You're kind of supporting them um, in ahead of the season, so that they yeah. have the money to go buy the seeds, it's like an plant. option, exactly. Right. And then whatever they're growing, they usually have a seed list of what they're going to grow. Um, they're going to bring you a harvest of the portion of the farm for you. Wow! And our CSAs all over the country. This they is are. not just in like your again your California or nope, Rich Valley area. Everywhere in the country, and you could probably just Google you know CSA and then your city and, and get in and right. get in. Yep, it's a great way to get to know your farmer personally. A lot of times CSAs have like work on the farm day or they have monthly potlucks oh, or that's cool. they share recipes and they're really an educational component on how to prepare the food that is coming from the farm and in season and sometimes you don't know what kelrabi is or what you're supposed to do with it. And you don't know what's in season like what it's winter it's time for Swiss chard yep, but we exactly. had it yesterday yeah but it's winter again today. Yeah exactly. Yeah. And then of course there's so many of the techniques that could keep you eating stuff that is local are so gone away for most people. Canning, exactly. for example. Who can? Drying. Drying. Dehydrators are totally out of out of commission. People are like, what? What, what do you mean dry something? And what do you mean can something? And, you yeah. know, and what do you mean pickle something? Yeah, and- Bell actually um, doubled their canning um, sales last year than the year before. Because so I think because of the economy, so many people are starting to get back into that. So you could probably Google up in your area and find out where there are canning classes. There are everywhere yes i'm going to try it my mom used to make this pickle relish that i miss so much yeah. we'd make it once a year and then we'd can it right oh, and, and canning is not that hard you got to be careful yeah you know but still you get a canning party together remember during the there was a poster during the war can uh, uh eat we eat what we can what we can't we can <laughs> And I, I think that, that's probably that what we should. That is awesome. And that's not the war on terror anymore. That's the that's the war on ah, that's the war on fascism, as far as I'm concerned. I just think that that food, of the you know, made by people who are not being paid enough. That's not healthy, and it's mass yeah, produced. Mass yeah. produced, and, and you know, it's GMO. You know, get mo obese is what I think GMO stands for. <laughs> get mo obese. Yeah. Well, this is terrific. Now I know that Jenny Pell, who who also comes on Oz is very much into sustainable urban gardening. Oh yeah. So that's another that's another totally. way to look at it. There's right. a lot of there's actually in Seattle there's this new kind of gardening fashion where people are taking out their perennials and actually landscaping with edible edible plants an edible landscape and then so their their landscape company comes in puts together all their edible landscapes and then instead of coming and weeding they actually come and harvest and leave a basket on your doorstep oh i love it thank you jess thank you so much (laughs) but remember next time when we do dining with Jess, number five, this being number that four, sounds great. scones or cookies. Yeah, doesn't have to be a burger, but 
Yeah, something to whet the appetite. That sounds great. I'll okay, do that. Okay, and for if sure. you all come up to Kabo- uh, you all come up to Whidbey Island ever, yeah, Kabuni Cafe. You can't you can't miss it. Well, you, you can actually. It's right in the middle. Yeah, of the <laughs> it's hard to find. <laughs> See you soon. Thank you. This is strictly off the huff. Researchers testing the waters off Louisiana in June found hugely elevated levels of polycyclic aromatic hydrocarbons, or PAHs, some of which are known carcinogens. The researchers from Oregon State University say that a device taking samples just off the shore of Louisiana's Grand Isle registered a 40-fold increase in PAHs between May and June. What's worse is that the sampling device was specifically designed to measure the fraction of PAHs in the environment that could make their way through a biological membrane. Mmm, the shrimp, the extra taste of PAH. This is a measure of what would enter into an organism, said Kim Anderson, an OSU professor of environmental and molecular toxology. There was a huge increase of PAHs that are bioavailable to the organisms, and that means they can essentially be uptaken by organisms throughout the food chain. Anderson said the water samples taken off the Mississippi, Alabama, and Florida coast, as well as air samples taken along the coast, also showed elevated levels of PAHs, but not nearly of the same magnitude. Anderson is now testing samples taken in August. The operative question is how many of the PAHs have biodegraded in the interim? BP's blowout sends somewhere between 4 and 5 million barrels of oil into the Gulf's waters between April 20th and July 15th. P-A-H. Pa! Uh-oh, sounds like a comedy calendar. It's the comedy calendar. I got my big red nose on. Yep, it's October the 6th. And you know, it's really hard to find somebody who's really funny who was born on the 6th. There is a, a, a one comic that uh, even I think is obscure, a guy named Charlie Manna who died back in the 70s. He had two DECA records to his credit. And, you know, getting a comedy record in the in the 50s, which was is tough. when he had him, it was, there weren't too many people who had him. He had, a, he had a bit that he's famous for called Inside You. But, you know, I can't tell you what, what that was about. So we're saving the comedy for this entire week because I'm really happy to announce, and I hope everybody is out there and ready to celebrate Shopping Cart Safety Awareness Week, which is all this week. And so uh, wear, wear a helmet while you're riding that shopping cart and use both hands. Straight out of Talking Points memo. A significant number of FBI employees cheated on an exam intended to assess their skills on criminal investigations, national security investigations, and foreign intelligence collection, according to a recent Justice Department Inspector General report. The FBI is full of cheaters. When taking the computerized 51-question Domestic Investigations and Operations Guide, D-I-O-G, how'd you do on the D-I-O-G, dog? Some consulted with others while taking the exam. Others used or distributed answer sheets or study guides that provided answers to the test. And some employees exploited a programming flaw to reveal the answers to the exam on their computers. Supervisors, including two assistant special agents in charge and a legal advisor, were involved in such cheating, and almost all of those who cheated falsely certified on the final question of the exam that they had not consulted with others, according to the OIG report. Ooh. 
In addition, some instructors taught to the test during training sessions and gave clues about uh, what would be on the test. Instructors stomped a foot several times loudly when they were covering a question that would be on the exam. And other instructors would mark their PowerPoint slides with attention-getting signals, such as a cartoon character, if the information on that particular slide would be on the exam. If you see Porky Pig, it's on the exam. If you see Donald Duck, it's on the exam. This is because the people that are trying to be FBI agents are part of the great uneducated mass. They don't know diddly squat and they've got to cheat to get by. This is not good news. The FBI found that over 200 employees had completed the exam, expected to take two hours in 20 minutes or less. So I wonder, did they all take a speed reading course? Are they all just such geniuses? They don't have to think twice? Or is the FBI really the FIB? More new records being set in the Middle East. No, it's not the uh, the banner for the most depleted uranium on the ground causing birth defects in China many, many miles away. No, the Washington Post tells us that Iraq, as of today, will surpass the previous record for the country that has gone the longest between holding a parliamentary election and forming a government. This according to experts who follow this sort of thing. The Netherlands had held that unfortunate honor after a series of failed attempts left the country without an elected government for 207 days in 1977, according to Christopher J. Anderson, director of the Institute for European Studies at Cornell University. Iraqis have now spent 208 days with no new government, and while the Dutch weathered their storm, Iraq's weak institutions may not hold up against mounting pressure and a steady level of violence. And it wasn't a great government before we went in with our illegal war looking for our non-existent uh, weapons, but at least they had a government. Now they ain't got no government, but they're going to get 50,000 Americans from the State Department there to keep the Shiites, or is it the Sunnis and the Kurds, from killing each other in whatever direction they're pointing. As politicians jockey for positions— and brokers deal in backroom meetings. Many Iraqis now say they wonder why they risked their lives to vote on March 7th at all. U.S. officials are increasingly concerned that the lack of an elected government has limited Iraq's ability to make national decisions and could eventually eat away at hard-earned security gains. Hard-earned, earned with my tax dollars. The most optimistic of Iraqi politicians expect the process to take at least another month, if not much longer. Government formation in Iraq is complicated by both the country's multi-party system and violence in the streets. Multi-party systems we have everywhere. Violence in the streets, that's another thing. Lawmakers are elected and in turn vote for the president, who gives the largest coalition in the parliament the first opportunity to choose the prime minister and form the government. That government needs a simple majority of the 325 lawmakers to back it. Election day was followed by a slow trickle of results and weeks in which politicians accused one another of fraud. The extremely close tallies for the top two parties, former Prime Minister Awad Awali Iraqia Bloc, which won 91 seats, and Shi'an incumbent Prime Minister Nouri al-Maliki's State of Law Bloc, which won 89, has led to months of tense start-and-stop negotiations as both men fight for Iraq's top government job. 
Maliki's bloc and another Shiite slate agreed to form the largest coalition in parliament based on one interpretation of Iraq's constitution. Maliki was the assumed frontrunner as their pick for the premiership, but disputes within the coalition seem to have splintered Shiite politics and could deepen the deadlock. Secular Shiite Alawai's Iraq bloc, largely backed by Sunni Arab constituents, promised to boycott the government if Maliki is nominated by the Shiite coalition. Oh, this is good. Alawi still claims the right to form Iraq's government based on another interpretation of the Constitution. A U.S. proposed power-sharing plan between the two men, which would have limited Maliki's power as prime minister and created a new federal position for Alawi, is all but dead, along with the country. Uh, This comes from one of my favorite sources, The Daily Beast. The Nobel Prize announcement may be still about a week off, but Harvard's Science Humor magazine, the Annals of Improbable Research, uh, has something to whet your appetite. Each year, it awards the Ig Nobel Prizes (laughs) for serious scientific research on topics that seem anything but serious. And this year, the Ig Nobel Prize for Medicine went to a group of Dutch scientists who found that the positive emotional stress of being on a roller coaster diminishes shortness of breath among asthma sufferers. Now, that is pretty far out because how am I going to deal with my asthma? Well, how about staying on a roller coaster all your life? Right? Yeah, sure. There's good. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And you'll get breastfeeding time, too. Yeah, and it's good for elect- uh, erectile troubles. Yeah. Uh, well, and electile troubles. Which is nice. Too. This is a good okay. one. Other, Go other recipients included a group of American researchers mm-hmm. who discovered that bearded scientists pose a health risk to their families because bacteria remained in their facial hair even after washing. So your bearded scientist husband, right, with his pipe and all that stuff is basically typhoid manny well wouldn't that be anybody's bearded husband doesn't say does it no Not it doesn't specific. but i mean if it's a bearded scientist who's been sucking on his pipettes you know yeah. why that's pretty disgusting well but if your bearded husband let's say it's a husband here you could be okay. your bearded wife but they're more rare is an accountant what does he bring home but the boredom of the office in his beard and that that could be a problem oh man that's like people who are disgruntled and they cook okay here's one though go ahead and my favorite, though. All right. Italian, the Italian physicist won the management prize after mathematically proving that random promotions within a company actually made it run more efficiently. <laughs> now, that deserves a Nobel Prize. No kidding. That would set our government forward. I, I, back in 1976, one of George Papoon's platforms was to randomly reassign useless government employees randomly to other useless jobs just to shake things up, you well, know? Well, this is starting a whole new super-efficient random world. They found that throwing darts at the Wall Street Journal's Stock page did just as well as braining it out. And now random promotions will do as well as butt sucking and, you know, and evaluations. I love it. I want to sleep. You want to chat. You wanna talk about the this's and the that's oh no Oh no The lights are out 
I'm getting cozy when you turn on me and tell me you're not trying to be nosy, but you wanna know the things that I am thinking all about in my head. I'm dead. I get the feeling that I'm gonna have a sleepless night ahead. All this touchy feely crap. It's just in time for bed. You say to open up, and that emotions run so deep. You say to talk about my feelings, but I'm feeling I just wanna shut up and sleep. You say to talk about my feelings, but I'm feeling I just wanna shut up and sleep. I'm a guy. I don't know why you think I'm always overflowing while my feelings are just rowing away. You fit me like a glove, you know. I don't think I'm above you, and you know I love you, and I'm always thinking of you, but I'm feeling like I ought to just shove you on the bedroom floor. About my feelings, but I'm feeling I just wanna shut up and sleep. You say to talk about my feelings, but I'm feeling I just wanna shut up and sleep. Tens of thousands of low-income workers lost their jobs yesterday as a stimulus-subsidized employment program came to an end. We knew it was coming to an end. Congress knew it was coming to an end, and they just let it happen. About a quarter of a million people in 37 states were placed in short-term jobs thanks to a $5 billion boost to the Temporary Assistance for Needy Families program, according to the Center on Budget and Policy Priorities. States used about $1 billion to provide subsidized employment, with the remaining funds going to cash grants, food programs, housing assistance, and other aid. About half the jobs were summer employment for youth, and the rest were for disadvantaged parents. Each state configured its initiative differently. Some covered all the workers' wages for a few months, others paid for a portion of their salary. With the program expiring, many of the adults have been told not to report to work anymore. Not because they aren't doing good work, not because they aren't on time, or they're sloughing off, or they're slackers. It's because there's no work. And it won't be easy for them to find a new position at a time when the unemployment rate continues to hover at 9.6%, the official unemployment rate. If you really let it hover, it'd be up around 15 to 18. They are just joining the millions of other people looking for permanent work, said Elizabeth Lower-Bosch, senior policy analyst at the Center for Law and Social Policy, an advocacy group known as CLASP. The TANF Jobs Initiative was one of the several stimulus initiatives uh, that uh, ended yesterday. Also running out uh, are a $2 billion subsidized child care program and a $2.1 billion boost for Head Start and an early learning program for needy children. 
That's good. That's really good. Let them all go. Who cares? Well, when we take over the House of Representatives, we're going to investigate the White House and we're going to take health care away because we are agents of the devil. State officials and advocacy groups have been lobbying Congress to extend the jobs program and other Recovery Act measures, but federal lawmakers have shown little appetite to do so. Well, they have appetites and they satisfy those appetites in trendy restaurants in Georgetown. A handful of states will continue to operate the programs for another few months, but most of these will be downsized uh, considerably. Illinois announced earlier this week that it will continue the program with state funds for up to two months in hopes that Congress will provide more money for it. The state has placed more than 26,000 workers at more than 5,000 private, nonprofit, and government employers. The best way to make our economy stronger is to put people to work, said government The best way to make our economy stronger is to put people to work, said Governor Pat Quinn. It is good for families, small business owners, and businesses. He's right. We've got to do it. This isn't welfare. Want to call it workfare? I don't like that either. It's make work. Yeah, making work that's needed, because if you don't make it, it won't be there, and we're all going to starve. Once I built a railroad, now it's done. Brother, can you From Politico, the National Women's History Museum is bidding to establish a permanent physical space on the National Mall for a museum to celebrate women's history. Sounds like a good idea to me. Despite Meryl Streep's star power support and her considerable financial contribution to the project, a bill that would grant the organization permission to buy the coveted land has been put on hold in the Senate. USA Today revealed on Thursday that two Republican senators responsible for the hold are Tom Coburn and James Ayatollah DeMint, two of the most troglodyte-like right-wing sons of guns in the Senate. Of course, you say women to them, unless it's women barefoot and praying in the kitchen and making them hush puppies, they smell, they smell the devil, the female devil, the succubus. These guys are so bent. According to USA Today, though Coburn and DeMint say that the reason for the hold is purely financial, the project has not raised enough money yet to purchase the land at market value, that may not be the whole story. Oh, really? Abortion politics are also in play. The senator's action came two days after the Concerned Women for America, another dandy group of harridans, a conservative group, wrote DeMint asking for a hold. The paper reports, the CWA expects the museum to laud reproductive freedom, but to ignore the history of pro-life involvement and activism among American women. Why do they have to worry? They replaced Thomas Jefferson with Phyllis Schlafly in the Texas a History School program. They ain't got no worries at all. Of course, people like DeMint and Coburn, as I say, when they hear women or they hear gathering of women or women being empowered, they think abortion immediately because they are so fakakta. Museum CEO uh, Joan Wages said the concerns are unfounded. We're not going to do an exhibit on that issue, i.e. reproductive rights, because we have to raise $400 million. We cannot afford, literally, to focus on issues that are divisive, she said. The reason for the whole just doesn't hold water. It should not be held up because two male senators want to stop women from knowing their history. That's exactly what they want to do, and I'm sure there's a part of their history that they don't want to know either. Either. Those two regulars at the Preyboy Mansion. I have another caller on the Skype line. Peter, this is Pastor Go to Hell. Well, hello, Pastor. I haven't heard from you for a while. Maybe not, 
but that doesn't mean I haven't been counting. Well, counting what? You think I, I, I care that you used 56,975,457 letters on yesterday's show, huh? You think I care? I, I did? Yes, you did. You question my statistics? Well, I really have no idea. I don't know, but I do. You think I don't know that 56,975,457 is the product of three consecutive primes? It is? Uh-huh. And I guess you don't know that when I input those primes into my secret Bible decoder ring, it spells Satan rocks. It does? <laughs> of course, you have to pretend not to know about all the secret messages you transmitting. I, I am? Come on, come on. You're working for the man, same as me. <laughs> Cause you're working for the other man. I suppose from your perspective, so am I. Well, th thanks for your call, Pastor. Don't you patronize me, Pete. I got the numbers and numbers never lie. I might, but the numbers never do. <laughs> Michigan Assistant Attorney General Andrew Shervell has taken up an unlikely target, the Student Assembly President at the University of Michigan. On a blog he started called Chris Armstrong Watch, Shervell attacks what he says is Armstrong's radical homosexual agenda, posts Photoshop pictures of Armstrong with rainbow flags and swastikas, and picks apart the student's Facebook page. Armstrong is the first openly gay student assembly president at the University of Michigan. Let's stop right here for just a little analysis. The assistant attorney general of Michigan is stalking this guy, and he's photo shopping pictures of him and, and, and addressing his radical homosexual agenda. Uh, if, if there was a booth at Vegas where you could bet on things like this, I believe that Michigan Assistant Attorney General Andrew Shervell is a closet gay. Okay, let's move on. Shervell says the blog is nothing personal. He spends a lot of time at home photoshopping this man's image. Sounds pretty personal to me. Though he has gone to Ann Arbor to protest outside of Armstrong's house and attend student assembly meetings over which Armstrong presides. In an awkward interview with Anderson Cooper uh, recently, Shervell said his main issue with Armstrong was his push for gender-neutral housing at the University of Michigan. What we're talking about is anybody, any man or woman, wanting to choose to live together, he said, that's a radical redefinition of gender norms. No, it isn't. They have gender-blind housing all over the country. But this guy isn't interested in gender-blind housing. He likes the guy that's the president of the student council. Armstrong responded obliquely to Chevelle's vitriol at a student assembly meeting this week. I quote, I, along with the rest of this assembly, were elected to this body to represent the university and nothing said about us or regarding our personal merits will waive our commitment to serve the student body. In a statement, Michigan Attorney General Mike, Mike Cox said Shervell's opinions do not reflect those of the Michigan Department of Attorney General. I hope not. And his immaturity and lack of judgment outside the office are clear. He should be immediately outside the office with his pens and pencils and staplers and hidden pornographic pictures. Out now! This looks like a microcosm of America to me. Even as the voters rage and candidates put up ads against government bailouts, the reviled mother of them all, the $700 billion lifeline to banks, insurance, and auto companies, will expire this weekend at a fraction of that cost and could conceivably earn taxpayers a profit. That's right. That's right. TARP 
is coming to an end, and I think it may, even at best, or worst, break even. A final accounting of the government's full range of interventions in the economy, including the bailouts of the mortgage finance giants Fannie Mae and Freddie Mac, is years off and will likely remain controversial and potentially costly. But the once unthinkable possibility that the $700 billion troubled asset relief program TARP, could end up costing far less or even nothing, uh, became more likely with the news that the government had negotiated a plan with the American International Group to begin repaying taxpayers. Brian Bethune, the chief financial economist in the United States uh, for IHS Global Insight, while critical of parts, called the program overall a tremendous success. Now, obviously, they can't go out on the campaign trail and say that because certainly for a lot of voters, it's just not going to resonate. The truth isn't going to resonate. You're going to go tell the people the truth and it isn't going to resonate. Welcome to the GOP nightmare. The bank bailout was the first big issue before the Obama administration's roughly $800 billion stimulus plan and its health insurance overhaul to stoke the rise of the Tea Party movement. After supporting TARP, several Republicans have lost elections largely because of their votes. For many Americans, TARP is more than a vote. It is a symbol of big government at its worst, intervening in private markets with taxpayers' billions to save Wall Street plutocrats while average Americans struggle through the recession, those finance spawned. Well, they are struggling through the recession that those financers spawned. That's absolutely true. And just because we bailed those people out so we wouldn't lose another 10 or 12 points of GMP doesn't mean that those financers shouldn't be taken to task. But you've got to separate one from the other. Fewer than three in 10 Americans say they believe the program was necessary, quote, to prevent the financial industry from failing and drastically hurting the U.S. economy, according to a poll in July by Bloomberg News. This is the best federal program of any real size to be despised by the public like this, said Douglas J. Elliott, a former investment banker now associated with the Brookings Institution, a Washington think tank. It was probably the only effective method available for us to keep from having a financial meltdown much worse than we actually had. Had that happened, unemployment would be substantially higher than it is now. The deficit would have gone up even more than it has, Mr. Elliott added. But it really cuts against the grain for a public that is so angry at banks to think that something that so plainly helped the banks could also be good for the public. Among those who voted for the program in 2008, several Republicans have lost nominating contests for re-election or for another office, and others are on the defensive in fall races. For example, Senator Robert F. Bennett of Utah was bailout Bob to Republicans who refused to re-nominate him for a fourth term. And this is a dyed-in-the-wool fiscal conservative and social conservative from Utah, get it? And he says, for those who were screaming at me and screaming, indeed, was the operative word. You've just saddled our children and grandchildren with 700 billion. I said, no, I haven't, Mr. Bennett said in an interview. (coughs) My career is over, he added. But I do hope that we can get the word out that TARP, number one, did save the world from a financial meltdown, and number two, did so in a manner that, I believe, won't cost the taxpayer anything. And even if it did not all get paid back, it was still the thing to do. 
Uh, this is proof positive. This is proof positive that nobody's listening. I mean, here it is. TARP worked. TARP may even make a few bucks. It's probably going to break even. And still, it's reviled. It's hung around people's necks. It's the reason for throwing people out of office. We are so nuts. Well, Pete, I have to roll out the obits. We got a we got a gang on the bus now to the Bardo, and uh, it'll be quite a nice crowd. Uh, Tony Curtis, I love Tony Curtis. Tony Curtis, we all love Tony Curtis, whether he was in drag or, or or in that awful costume. And I I understand from the obituary that he didn't really say yonder lies the castle of my father. <laughs> Uh, Phil Proctor, our erstwhile partner, sent us a, a wonderful picture of himself with Tony Curtis just recently. Cool. Go, gone at 85, and we should all watch all of his movies all over again. Great guy. He's on the bus with Arthur Penn, oh. uh, really a notable director who gave us Bonnie and Clyde, but besides Bonnie and Clyde, uh, I, he, the left-handed gun, and he directed uh, Mike Nichols and Elaine May in their first Broadway show. It oh. was directed by Arthur Penn. Uh, the AG novel called Death in the Family, the Broadway version oh, of that, All the Way Home. Just, I mean, the list is extravagant. Well, so it's the two guys. And who are they on there with? They're on with that wonderful actress named Gloria Stewart. They rediscovered uh, for Titanic. Oh, yes. Who was the lady in her 80s then. Yes, the old lady with the, with the key prop. That's right. Oh, she, yeah. She said, if only I got in a movie like this, I might not have left the movie business, you know. She died at 100. Beautiful, beautiful woman, even in the in her 80s at uh, in in Titanic. So it's Gloria Stewart and Arthur Penn and Tony Curtis, and they're all sailing off together with a tear in my eye for all of them. Well... I'm going to meet him again, you know. I think that's true for everybody, but I can only take this kind of revelation one man at a time. There you go. Well, Dave, uh, you've got us into a new guy now. you got us into a new, probably Tang period, at least early Tang period poet. And what's cool about, about Dao Cheng is that he likes to drink wine and he likes to talk about he it. He sure does. And, you know, his lifetime, we're talking about 400 here, 400 A.D., he was writing wow. these lovely poems. Wow. Yeah. Oh, man. Sev- you know, 1,700 years ago, and the man knew how to do his stuff. He sure did. Here's one. A green pine grows in eastern garden. Dense underbrush obscures its beauty. When a nipping frost ruins all other plants, its lofty branches emerge majestically. Unnoticed among trees, standing alone, it becomes a wonder. I take a pot of wine to hang on the wintry bough, then look afar over and over again. Life alternates between dreams and illusions. Why should I tie myself to this worldly bondage? Good question to which I have no real answer. But at least we're tied. We're tied to Radio Free Oz, and uh, it's it's a it's a mild kind of bondage. Mild kind of bondage. Yeah, kind of a friendly. Yeah. I'm getting excited. Ooh. The bondage of Radio right. Free Oz. Don't forget to go up to RadioFreeOz.com. Dig Bergman's blog, Osmond's blog. Go up to the Ozaneers page and find out what you can get if you subscribe and become an insider. See you tomorrow.